I am, we are privileged to have a guest speaker today who will also be one of the guest speakers for our conference. Uh, but he's not just um, a, a well-recognized international speaker and trainer um, and author, but he is a very close friend. Um, he did the calculations this morning, and he believes that we've actually have been connected in one way or the other, originally meeting almost 19 years ago. Uh, we met each other in Brussels, Belgium, where he was attending a seminar that I was leading, and um, we just had that connection. You know, sometimes you meet someone, you go, this is just more than a, a passing meeting. You know, there's something there, and we didn't necessarily know what it was, but uh, we soon discovered later, had the opportunity to take a team of people to, uh, to uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo, where he originally was born and raised, and that's his nationality, Congolese, but he had been living in South Africa for quite some time uh, and uh, had moved to Cape Town, South Africa, and started Pioneer to New Work. So uh, I remember early in the establishing of that church, he's the founding pastor of Gospel Rama Church, uh, and uh, whenever uh, a few people, a few people that were associated with me, we went there and visited him, and he had probably, I don't know, 40, 50, 60, I don't know how many people had at that point, but it was just the beginnings. And most of them were university students from the University of Cape Town, which is a very, very well-regarded school and is located there in Cape Town. So uh, Pastor Chala would go in on whole Bible studies and prayer meetings on campus, and these kids would come to Jesus. They'd get saved, and then they would just, you know, start automatically funneling them into his church. And uh, fast forward to today, Thousands and thousands of people now make that their church home. And uh, I have been privileged to be there on many occasions and watched God's ongoing display of his grace and his favor upon that church. And uh, now those students who were once sophomores in college uh, now run huge businesses, are now running departments in the city, and are, have been elevated and promoted in so many different ways at every different mountain of influence. And it's just so cool to see generations of young people from how many different nations now? 25? Say 25 different nations represented in his church. Can you imagine, can you imagine that if it weren't for some good church protocols, that would be like the Tower of Babel, you know? <laughs> when, I mean, it's like, who could understand anybody? But they do very, very well, and, uh, and their services are in English. So, uh, so that solved the Tower of Babel problem. But anyway, uh, it's a great, great church. Great, great people. I love them. I'm so, I feel Carrie and I are, are bonded very closely with, uh, with Bishop Chalo Kachunga and his wife Beatrice and their kids and their grandkids and their staff. And we love them very dearly. And what a privilege to be able to have him to make the trip. I mean, that's a long trip coming down from all the way. Now, he did do a short-term stopover in Paris for a couple of days, but uh, he's made a long trip in order to be right here with us this morning. He'll be ministering on Monday and Tuesday at our upcoming event in Great Bridge, and hopefully you'll be a part of that too. Uh, it is just such an honor. I'd like for you to respond in a way that I, I you know, never expect you to respond to me, uh, but for someone that is this special, would you mind standing and giving a warm, honoring Riverbend Church welcome Thank to you. Bishop Chalo Pachunda. Bishop, thanks. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? It's almost end of morning. I don't know. It's good day. I think morning has been gone a long time ago. Uh, thanks, Bishop. 
Actually, what 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 my bishop did? Uh, uh, no, you call him uh, Pastor Bobby, but to me, to me, he's not a pastor. He's, he's my bishop. Actually, because uh, bishop simply means overseer. So apart from our friendship, he uh, covers me, and uh, you know, I submit to him. Uh, he's, he's my mentor, and just looks after my wife and myself so that we behave, and and, and we finish well. You know, yeah, I was. It taught some years ago on finishing well at our church. And, uh, you know, the messages when you hear them, uh, they're wonderful, but it's over time that they begin to be extremely critical. So in the past four, five years, the number of colleague ministers I've seen fall by the wayside, uh, it worries me a lot. But, uh, you know, we, we... we look up to them and then cling to them and say, hey, you know, if, if things go wrong, we have a phone call to make that uh, someone who can fix us as well. So thank you so much. And then, Kerry, I'm happy to have you in church. You know, we prayed for you when we heard about the news, but uh, God is doing a very good job. Yes. Yeah, but one thing I have to tell you, you didn't lose your beauty. Oh, wait. I'm thinking... She has been cursed with beauty, you know. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Actually, I'm, I'm glad to see Brant in the house. Brant, something about me I don't forget. You were so generous to me when I preached you in your church, and I still have the figures. I don't tell them, otherwise they will attack me. Uh, but thank you so much. That you know, you've been just a very, very good person, and I keep talking about you, Monel. It's good to reconnect again. I hope tomorrow and the other day we'll talk. Uh, so, years fly by. Okay? Well, uh, Bishop have said it. My name is uh, tough to memorize. <laughs> it's shallow. Actually, let me start with a joke. It's a second service. You know, we can go, we can go on a light note. Okay. <laughs> now, you know, South Africa is worse than uh, uh, America in terms of segregation. Somehow. And then two guys meet. You know, one is Caucasian, one is black. So, and then we do the normal introduction. My name is so-and-so. And then uh, they keep talking. Then a uh, few minutes in, into conversation, the Caucasian, re- you know, just realizes, oops, I've forgotten the guy's name. <laughs> then he goes, by the way, you know, you know, yeah, help me, your African names are very complicated. What's, what's your name again? And I guess I said, John. <laughs> I thought that was cool. <laughs> you know? So we don't really pay attention to one another. And then uh, how can John be African name? <laughs> That's another thing. And then what I've learned also now, that uh, it's a sign of a rich church. When the senior leader forgets about offering, you're in, a very, you're in a very good church. You know, so your members are going, hey, take it. So thank you so much. All right, so with the time that you have, uh, would you allow me to share on the paradox of our Christian faith? And it's good to see the younger generation. I always enjoy to see younger people in church. Uh, it helps because, you know, Christianity is in safe hands. It doesn't die with us. <laughs> thank you. Keep up the good work. And then uh, the flame of the gospel going. You know, it will be good one day to know that you're, you've replaced T.D. Jakes. Yeah. You know, that, that would be cool, you know. Yeah. 
Get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> All right. So, in the morning, we, we read from John chapter 12, verse 20 to 28, and I made a huge mistake by telling them, you know, reading any version of the Bible, it wasn't okay. <laughs> so, I've learned. So, we will read from NIV. And the reason why I read a lot of NIV, it's number one, English is my third, no, fourth language. Uh, I was born speaking French, and uh, then Swahili, and I learned Chiluba, and I learned Lingala, and then uh, English came. So I cannot go King James. You know, it's, it's suicide. So, and I stay away from King James, and then I try to read uh, American Standard Version, and look, it's also like King James. So stay away from those. And then <laughs> stick to NIV. It helps people like me. Because English is not my primary language. And to make it even worse, I'm preaching in America, where you speak a dialect called American English. You know, it's, uh, yours is not English. Ours is English. So it's the own confusion. Okay? Now, uh, I don't know if we can put on the screen or not. If it cannot, then uh, whoever is NIV, let's try and read it. But if it doesn't work, it's fine. No, we cannot. Okay. I will you, you will do it. Okay. Okay, please. 28? Yeah, 20 to 28. Yes, 11 o'clock service. After he said this, oh my word, this is not good. From 12 from 20 to 28. That's Yes. <laughs> I've never heard so much confusion. <laughs> All right, everybody there? Y'all ready to go now? In unison? All right. After he said this, he shows in his hands. Are y'all reading this? <laughs> oh. So. Many seeds. 
Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. Well, so let's let's share the word, okay? Uh, the way God sees life and interprets is many, many times different from the way we do it. It's, it's, it's called the paradox. It's basically almost a contradiction to a common sense. You know, so uh, we will look into the Bible and study four of those seemingly contradictory uh, statements that seem to not make too much sense. But it's just common sense opposed to super sense. God knows way, way much better than we do. And when he asks us to live in a certain way, even if it doesn't make sense to us, it makes a lot of sense. Like uh, Dr. Clarence McPherson will say, that if someone with some sense wants to understand God who has all the sense, that becomes nonsense. I think, you know, Clarence is right. Because God's ways are higher than ours, according to Isaiah 55. Uh, his thoughts uh, are not our thoughts. So we study uh, to be approved and to show ourselves uh, disciples of Christ worthy of that name. Now, Christianity... Uh, on earth, you know, from earthly perspective, we're not talking about uh, eternity, is basically a pursuit of three things. One, to find ways and means of glorifying God. If my life, through what I say, I do, and I don't do, do not bring glory to God, there's a problem already. And what applies to an individual applies to a local congregation, applies to the body of Christ. Our first pursuit is, how do we bring glory to God? Now, those, again, uh, you know, Bible jargon that we thought that to glorify God, but what does it really mean? You know, those are questions. So, in this context, it simply means, how do we put the spotlight on God? That's the purpose of Christianity on earth. How do I live in such a way that the spotlight is on God and people were far from God, didn't know anything about God, are not interested in God. By looking at my life, they begin to go, there must be a God, a good God, a loving God, a smart God, a wise God, a powerful God through me. That's the purpose of Christianity on earth. Local churches exist so that the spotlight goes on Almighty God. But coming with that, there's a second purpose, is to find fulfillment in Christ. You know, that word simply means sense of being satisfied, feeling full, all right? And then we have words like blessed, joy, happiness, you know, that the Bible throws throughout its scriptures. It talks to that issue, that if coming to Christ makes me sad or sour than before Christ, then there's a problem. So I must have a sense of, oof, finally, you know, this is life. And then third is fruitfulness. How do I make the only life God has given me count? Not only now, but for eternity. So that's, that's basically the triangle of, of a Christian experience on earth. How do I put the spotlight on God so that people know him, love him, fall in love with him, and eventually believe in him? Two, how do I find a sense of fulfillment? And three, how do I become fruitful? with my life. So, it takes hard work because if it wasn't, then 
everybody will do it. I have come to a conclusion observing, you know, as the bishop said, God, God have helped us, you know, from one tiny little church with a bunch of students not knowing even how to say our father is in heaven, uh, to just growing this church and then multiplying and having 44 congregations now planted, you know, the last one which is only two or three weeks old. So you, you learn and you study a lot of stuff. And then apart from our own community of churches, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm in a circuit preaching in different churches and parts of church life. So you begin to realize that some statistics the same chill in your spine. We gathered uh, some years ago, maybe three or four, in uh, oh, what's what's the country again? The name just disappeared. It will come back. And then our purpose was to uh, study the whole movement of church. Uh, no, Turkey, that's with you, but we went, you know, to do some studies. Or, you know, it's next to Malaysia. There's Indonesia, Malaysia, and it will come. I, I guarantee you, before the preaching is over. <laughs> so we were there studying and then, uh, you know, trying to figure out where is the church going. And some of the statistics that worried me, one of the church experts said, if you have a thousand people in membership in your church, you belong to the top 3% of the largest churches in the world. Another number that came that frightened me, you know, because he was an American guy, that the average attendance in the U.S. is 82 people per Sunday. So then he put a spin to all his explanation that the world is sitting now at 7,2 billion in population. And the all Christendom, you know, people who go to church and do things and then the fake and the right and the, you know, people are going to make it to heaven put together, we are just under 2.1 billion. Which means if Christ comes back today, two-thirds of the world population goes to hell. And these people live in a neighborhood. Attend schools with us. Go to Semva City with us. There are colleagues at the workplaces. Why is Christianity so weak in attracting people to Christ? Why is Christianity so weak in putting the spotlight on Christ so that people may know that there is salvation in Christ? Eight days have gone by, and then people have been slaughtering animals and doing the routines. And uh, these Greeks, it wasn't the first time because it's, it's, it's just a routine. People will go from time to time to this big feast, the Passover, Pentecost, and name it. And then this time around, there's a change. After that week, some of the Greeks, the Bible says, went to see Philip with a request. We would like to see Jesus. That did something to me. That between salvation and the Savior and the seekers, there must be disciples who create the bridge. Yes. Yes. So therefore begin to learn that 
Christian faith is a call to do difficult things. Not in terms of the, you know, what they cost us in terms of muscle, strength and stuff, but it's just to do what is not common. To appreciate and approach life in a way that doesn't make sense to people who live in common sense. And the reason why we do what we do, it's because we believe in a God who has super sense, who knows that what moves people is something that is not common. It's a common perspective to life. Now, let visit quickly four of those that we can extract from the book of John, the pericope that you read you know, from verse 20 to 28. Interesting. The first thing that you learn, the paradox of Christian faith is salvation is basically a result of simple curiosity. Many, many of us have come to Christ simply because someone lived in such a way that we thought, this is not the way people should live. Why are they different? And that simple curiosity opens to something bigger. And we are where we are. I might have one or two testimonies of myself. But let's look at what Paul says and then, you know, maybe use one or two <clears throat> other scriptures. Paul is worried, very, very concerned about the state of the church. And then, uh, you know, people, most of you are theologians in here. So the book of First Corinthians particularly is, is the big book of church, ecclesiology. So he's writing. And his purpose is to say, hey, the reason why church exists is to affect the city. That's the introduction. Right to the church of God in Corinth. The church belongs to God, but the church is planted in the context of a city so that the church can affect the city. And then from chapter 2, or chapter 1, rather, going all the way to 14, Paul is grappling with the issue, why is the church of God at Corinth ineffective in its mission? The point is, not because the Corinthians people are so evil and wicked, they're not interested, but the church is confused, and it becomes irrelevant. Could it be that in the 21st century, just before the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church is still suffering from the same disease. In every human being, even the most gone into sin, and one of them is preaching to you today, you will never tell, I was drug addicted, I was alcoholist, but, you know, of, of the highest level. I lived all my life in nightclubs and pubs and prostitute homes. But look what the Lord has done. So there's no one out there in the world who is so far gone that the grace of salvation cannot reach. But salvation reaches the unsaved and the lost through bridges called the disciples of Christ. How do we do it? Not because we preach. You know, we have a lot of programs on TV. Tele-evangelists doing this and doing that. And then, uh, you know, let's buy a bigger building. Let's build a bigger church. But these things do not attract people to Christ. 
And uh, you know, you and I, we know, we, we think. When you go to Europe, you find these old, old church buildings. We could have, you know, seating capacity 4,000, 2,500 or more empty. I don't think there's any pastor who is so crazy that he would build a church of that size if nobody comes. If there's 4,000 seating capacity, which means there was a time and a season where 4,000 people sat in that church. But what happened to the church that today the buildings are empty? Some of them have become hotels. I lived in one of the former churches that had become an hotel in Belgium. Because when the church does not do what church is supposed to do, it loses its relevance and it will go dying slowly. Some years ago, Bishop took us, we were only a group of 13 people to take it. And the purpose of that journey was to do the trip of the seven churches of Asia Minor. You know, just studying, you know, Pergamon, Laodicea, and all these Ephesus. It was a good learning. I learned a lot, took notes, did stuff. But when I boarded that plane, my heart broke. Because all seven churches received a direct instruction from Almighty God. Write to the angel of the church XYZ in the city of XYZ. And uh, the purpose of God planting churches was to have an impact on the city. But fast forward, all seven churches are no more. All seven cities are still around. When the church should have outlasted the cities, the cities have outlasted the church. Because that's the issue we're dealing with. And I spend a lot of time studying and praying, Lord, what is the issue with us? So the way you approach Christianity will not work. The only effective way, it's paradoxical. It's when you do things that seem to make, don't seem to make sense to others that produce the result that you're expecting. The effectiveness of the church is in the lifestyle of Christians. Are we together? I have discovered that church growth has nothing to do with building, with discipleship program, with, uh, you know, how how loud is a preacher, how soft is a preacher, or how refined is a preacher. It's just a bunch of men and women who are living a life in a way that is attractive to the unsaved. How easy that? Unleash your people. Tell them, be Christian in society. That's all you need to do. And Paul is grappling with this. And he's writing some deep stuff in the book of Corinthians and saying, hey, the behavior we see in the world, we see it in the church. Where people belong to this one, people belong to that one. It's like political groups in the church. Paul, Apollos, and this and that. It shouldn't be. I think it was Anderson 
It's one of the big thinkers in your land who wrote a book. The most segregated day of the week is Sunday in America. Where whites go to white churches, black go to black churches, uh, you know, Latinos go to Latino churches, and it's everybody in his club under the name of God. Even when the blacks and the Caucasian and the Latinos and the Chinese and Nemi belong to one local church, they belong to the church for the two-hour service. Beyond the two hours, there's no relationship. Now tell me in what way we are different from politicians. We watch American life every day. The tension between the Obamas and Trump have revealed deep-seated issues in American society. Because 90% of blacks are rooting for Obama, whether he was right or wrong, that's not the issue, is they're attacking our brother. Really? The white man, whether Trump is crazy or is normal, it's none of the issue. He is a God-sent man. And that same spirit comes in church. But God is telling us, not so with you. If you want to win the world for Christ, live in such a way that people begin to be curious, why are you different? So Paul will go in and write a lot of stuff and explain this and try to fix this. And then chapter 15 is the crescendo of the whole book. You know, he's putting us in kind of essay, eschatology, explain the impact of the cross, what Christ did on humanity and us particularly, his people. But it's the last verse of that chapter is so powerful. Because Paul takes us all the way to eternity, all the way to what life would be like. Then he goes, while you are waiting for that life to come, this is how we should live now. And he goes, hey, listen. Let nothing move you. While you are living here, let nothing move you. Now, when you study and understand, you have to complete Certain words to what Paul is saying. Let nothing move you from your faith. Oh, now I understand. What attracts the unsaved to my Christ and put a spotlight to my God who saved me is my faith in the midst of contradiction. I was telling a friend in the early service, me coming to Riverbend Church, it's more a celebration of resilience, faith, and love. Because I knew what my bishop went through and Kerry and all the stuff. Someone else could have just resigned to defeat and then, you know, put on autopilot mode and continue. Uh, I've done my bit and didn't work. But he still believed that the local church is the hope of the world if church is, do- is done right. And at that age where people retire, he dreamed again about Riverbend Church. And here we are. Not only in a rented place, purchased place by you, 
Give a clap to yourselves. Now, for me to come, it's, it's, it's what moves me. That when I'm stuck and I don't have a name to pray in the Bible, I'll pray the name of my bishop because I know it works. Now, if it moves me at that state, at level, can you imagine if you can display faith in the midst of cynicism? People pay attention. I was still working for the railways and then at one stage things went wrong and my boss, I could see that he was, he was really rattled. And he called me in his office and said, young man, come in. He used to call me young man, come in. So I went to his office and goes, I've observed you. You are the most calm guy in all this workshop. What do you think we can do? Your director is calling you at that level, not based on your capacity to know machinery, but your behavior in the midst of pressure. I think that counts for a lot. And then Jesus will spin in his own words and say, you are the light. You don't have the light, you are. You are the soul. Let people see how you live. For what reason? So that they may ask you to what church you belong? No. For what reason? So that they can praise your God who is in heaven. Nobody opens up to salvation until someone leaves Christianity in an open way. Simple curiosity. Then Paul said, let nothing move you from your faith. Remain hopeful. Whatever happens, because Christ conquered death. He rose from the dead. The third, second thing that moves people in your Christian lifestyle is be hopeful. Just look at life from a positive perspective. I always maintain if a problem came, it will go. Because it knew how it came, it will know how to go. But Jesus is the hope. And the Bible says we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Now, look at what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. We have this hope for anchor of our soul. Going where? Beyond the curtain. Where our Lord Jesus Christ has gone ahead of us. Where is Jesus right now? In heaven. So our hope has nothing to do with what the dollar is doing, euro is doing, the right wing, the center wing, or the back wing, whatever thing is going on in politics. Our hope is anchored in one thing. Eternity is real. And when they see us, a club of happy people and hopeful people, hope is in short, shortage. They will have to come to the God who can provide hope again. And then Paul said, thirdly, what attracts people in our lifestyle is don't give up doing your work of love 
Just do things because you love God's people and you love God. Just do it in that way. Love the people, do life by loving them. I told you I was a wreck. One day my father looked me in the eyes. I was a brilliant student. Just did straight A's all my life. Never did anything less than that. But I was messed up. Because a big degree in your hands doesn't make your heart okay. Driving a big car doesn't signify you've arrived. So I looked cool. I was a champion. I, I was a gang leader. <laughs> God does miracles. But in that space, someone was playing volleyball with me, loved me enough to spend time at my house from time to time. He will come for no reason, just to be there. And then uh, in his crazy way before going, he said, can I pray? And I go, sure, you can pray. You know, I wanted him to pray and go. <laughs> you know, so my purpose of allowing him to pray is, you know, I know when he prays, it's time to go. And I'm tired of this guy. Just pray and go. <laughs> and then the guy, you know, in his crazy way, I think he was also a young believer. I don't know. I cannot explain. He will stand and begin to pray in tongues, which makes it even worse. <laughs> because I don't know what is going on. Is this guy a witch or what? <laughs> he will just go, Go, okay. <laughs> So he finishes and leaves. But I believe in hindsight, those times where he prayed in tongues, there was a seed of God left in my house. That one day he invited me. Would you come to our church? And it, it's a tiny little church. And what is bizarre, the main gates to enter the church, there was a big sewage that was filling. So the smell itself, oh yeah. <laughs> That's the church I was invited. I got born again, crossing a sewage to go to the house of the Lord. And then I think they were so poor that they didn't have a stage, you know, pulpit like this. It was a little table that had Parkinson's disease, you know, this table that moved by themselves. So all the time, even without touching it, it was just moving. And I'm thinking, what is this God? And... Uh, the preacher preaches and finishes. I got born again. I never left church from that Monday. Look what God has done. A Rasta man is a preacher man. <laughs> That's the miracle. But you know what? I never came because someone made sense to me. I was so reliant upon my brain power that you could never convince me about your Christianity through debate. But it was the way that guy lived who did the work of love for me, that I shall come to a church. And this time I'm doing a huge, huge conference. You know, thousands and thousands of people are, are there. And uh, I'm the man of the hour. Driven, the Bible carried, bodyguards, you know, all the uh, perks that come with elevation. And as I stand to speak, I observe a guy right there. That's the man who brought me to church. Mm 
and tidy with nothing. And he's scrubbing and sobbing. And after church, I called him people, you know, they were blocking him. I'm going to leave that guy. If that guy wasn't there, I was not going to be here. And I hugged the guy. And he's crying in front of these thousands and thousands of people. He'll go, buddy, what's up? Because if I die now, I'll die happy. Because I never knew the guy I was fighting for has the potential to move thousands and millions of people. Why? Yes, that's a place to applaud. I know. I know. It's a calm church. But let's be crazy like African. Can we, can we do it? That's how we do it in Africa. What is God teaching us? Just be a Christian. Let people see your love. Let people see your faith. Let people see your hope. They will come to salvation. At our church grow. All the techniques are fine. But number two, God says for you to produce life, you have to die to self. What is Jesus teaching and what, what is this paradox? What God is teaching us is simple. Without sacrificial service, people don't open up to Christ. So what you do? Do practical things for people. Just serve. And back off, watch what service does. Many people have come to our church these days because some of our leaders decided, you know, they're students. This is what we'll do. We will go and serve at the church and find out who is very good at what. That's all. This guy is a genius in mathematics. That one is good in physics. That one is good in, you know, whatever thing it is. And then we have, you know, lawyers, all sorts of people in our church. Then they say, we will do a service of love to our community. We will go to townships, you know, we call it in America ghettos, where the no, nobodies, they have nothing, live. We will go to university with students who are struggling in certain subjects. We will teach every Saturday for free. It doesn't cost you because you know. You are just telling them what you know. It's like calling Bishop Bobby Hill to preach. I don't feel sorry for him. I'm, I'm doing him a favor because he knows. You know, he, he can preach even without preparing. He doesn't pray. But the things in your life that God has put on purpose that you know very well how to do, use those skills to serve. Sacrifice and see what will happen. So our church moved into that space of doing practical things in different schools, communities, 
and the numbers just begin to swell. The numbers begin to swell. Because if someone is helped, he doesn't come alone to church. He tells someone else about what the church people have done for him. And out of curiosity, as you said, the other person comes also to see what kind of church is this one that does things to, for people. That's church growth. Fruitfulness. But you know, in the process, you go to bed happy that you have changed somebody's life, even in a small way. Even in a small way. But I told you it's hard because who is prepared to die? <laughs> we do prayer meetings binding the spirit of death. And God is telling us the only way for you to produce life is to die. When Paul says, when death is at work in me, life is at work in you. Someone has to sacrifice for life to be produced. We do the same with our children. Now, I'm, I'm, as, as Bishop said, I'm a father and I'm a grandpa. The amount of money I've invested in my children's education is staggering. For what? I don't have a dream one day that my ch children will buy a car for me. I don't need the money. I have mine. But you know what made me spend so much? Just the joy of helping the next generation to become better. When a service for a community is not with string attached, we do this for you to come to a church, but we do this to put a spotlight on God, you will see what will happen. Third, Jesus is teaching these things to his disciples because he knows it's this last week on earth. And he said, hey, the only way for you to get is to give. That's another paradox. Because all our lives, they've told us to be holders. Keep it. Keep it. Use other people. Accumulate as much as you can. But that's not how Christianity works. Christianity is emptying yourself through generosity. As you become super generous, so it comes back. Not necessarily in terms of money that you gave and other things, but just the fulfillment. Well, the worst word you can ever say in the church from the pulpit is generosity. Because automatically Christians go in a kung fu mode. <laughs> it's time to take our money. <laughs> generosity is not only tied to money. Money is actually the least part of generosity. On a scale of things, the highest level of generosity is where do you invest the most of your time? That generosity. Because time is life. Let's spend time for people. God will never plant a riverbank church in riverbank neighborhood if he doesn't have in mind riverbank people. 
But Riverbend people will never come to Riverbend Church until Riverbend members go to Riverbend community and begin to spend time in Riverbend community. I didn't say it in every service, I'll say it because you're about to close and it's a second service, I have to be generous also with my testimonies. <laughs> now, in a church circle, bishop is an achievement. You know, for you to be a bishop, man, because all that is missing now is tree shop. You know, I'm, 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 I'm going up. It's the joke. You didn't get it. You know, <laughs> African jokes don't work in white churches. <laughs> all right, but anyway, I've, I've tried. <laughs> So, now, I have been a member of a fitness center for, for a while. You know. I decided, listen, God cannot put me in a gym with so many thousands of people for nothing. I will turn this thing into my church. That's, that's my project. And I will not be the pastor in the gym. I'll be the common guy, the cool guy. I decided I'll greet people. Now, if you know South Africa, black people cannot afford gym. Very, very few of us. God have to love you. <laughs> so which means 90% of people who attend gym are white. You know, the different skill come. But now I begin to engage the guys. You know, I'll ask a name and memorize your name and call you by name and I'm, I'm very loud. You know, I, you know, he was encouraging me. No, 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 be loud. I go, no, no, I have to respect my boss. So I'm, I'll tone down. You know, in my church, I'm super loud. You know, this is divide by 20. You know? <laughs> so, and I'm loud at the gym. You know, my wife is very reserved type of Bishop Bobby. So she's embarrassed when she comes to the gym. She goes, he's talking again. Oh, <laughs> and I don't talk soft. And I'm shouting there, and I'm saying this, and I'm calling this, and I'm cracking jokes. Actually, at the gym, they don't even call me Chalo. My nickname at the gym is Idris Alba. <laughs> yeah, this is how they call me. Hey, Idris, come here. So, and these guys were calling me, are swearing like, ooh, every time you have to clean and, you know, sanctify your, 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 your ears and stuff. But I don't mind. So, we will joke, and then finally... We created a club of senior citizens at the gym. You know, the people are old. <laughs> so for you to come and train with us, you have to be 55 and above. <laughs> now, we do stuff. But most of our training is just jokes. <laughs> you know, that's what we do. We, we just laugh. And then we pray that, Lord, let's slow the aging process because death is... And then I started slowly. One day, there's this very, very calm together white lady. I'm getting out of my car. She's getting out of her car. And I could pick up that she gathered the best courage she could. Because she, she's super quiet. And she goes, hey, Idris, I've never spoken to you. But what is your real name? And I told her. And I go, she goes, thank you. I've told people about you. But in all my life, I've never seen a positive guy like you. 
you make us want to come to the gym because we know we'll find that black man who jokes all the time. <laughs> that is evangelism. Yeah. 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 Another jo- testimony and then we will close. <laughs> I'm spinning. I'm on a bike, you know, doing my stuff. And I know my wife comes <laughs> at the gym from time to time. And this lady, she comes running to me. She goes, Idris, life is tough. I go, what's going on? I cannot tell you now, but I know you have positive energy. Can you hug me and get, get some of the positive energy? Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, while I'm hugging you, if my wife comes, what am I going to <laughs> What am I going to say now? You know, you know I'm, I'm going, okay, you need energy. I've got positive, but she can come and I need to get negative energy at home. So, yeah. But then I, I, I found a win-win solution. I go, okay, I'll keep spinning while I'm giving energy. So that if she comes, you know, I didn't do anything. I was just, you know, giving energy. So, and I, I gave energy very quickly. And I... I But you know what? Some weeks ago, the club of senior citizens finished and they said, can we have tea after this? I go, okay. So we finished our stuff, went down. And for the first time, this super rich Caucasian opened up at the deep level where people have lost Three million US dollars, five million US dollars. They're about to do something wrong and they need wisdom from Idris. That is what God is teaching us. That when we become generous with our time, there will come a time they will want to know the opinion of our God. Come on, give him praise. Come on, give him praise. Let's close with the last one. Let's close with this. And the last tension that is a paradox of a Christian living, not only we have to live in a different way, loving people where love is rare, not only we have to live sacrificially where everybody wants to take advantage of others, not only we have to live in a generous way, where we give up time, talent, and everything else. But fourth and last, we must increase through decreasing. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the power of humility. So if you want to conquer the world and win the people for Christ and put the spotlight on God and go to bed, fulfill that you have done something worth calling Christianity and be fruitful in your Christian life, you must be humble. We don't have time to teach all this. It's, it's class. Every point is, is, is a class in itself. But the point I want to drive in conclusion is prayer is the most potent tool to demonstrate humility. The, the power of prayer is not because we speak loud or we pray long but it's because we show to God that we don't know everything. We don't understand everything. 
We cannot solve the problem. Therefore, we are turning to you who can solve the problems to help us. What is the point I'm driving? A praying church is a powerful church. And I was telling my pastors in November, there's a difference between prayer meeting and praying. Because a prayer meeting can be a church program devoid of meaning. But when people pray for real, they're telling the Lord, you can solve the issues of our world. And heaven begin to move. With these little words, may the Lord bless you. And thank you for being a fantastic church and a wonderful, wonderful second service. I enjoyed your presence uh, in church. And I hope uh, I was a blessing in a small way. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you so much. Would you stand to your feet, please? We appreciate that so much. There's so much that you can apply to your life. I pray that you will. Would the prayer teams please come forward so that anyone who has special needs, prayer requests, uh, please feel free to come forward. Even if you don't know Christ and you want to come and be born again and meet Christ today, this is an opportunity for you to come and receive prayer. We're going to be dismissed with just a declaration of blessing over you. And I know we've gone extended over our normal dismissal time, but but uh, we don't always have a chance to have Bishop Chala with us. Amen? Amen. Lord, I bless these people today. I thank you so much that you've gathered us together as your body of believers. And I bless them with the joy of the Lord, with righteousness, peace, and joy. Let it overflow in their lives. Lord, let us become exactly what Pastor Chala was talking about today, that we would be contagious, that we would demonstrate things with our life, So I bless you with the power of the Holy Spirit. I bless you with a a radical level of light, attraction, magnetic attraction of those that don't know Christ. And Lord, let us be salt in the midst of this culture and this society. I bless you with that now in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You're dismissed. If you want prayer, please come forward. Otherwise, if you would, please take your fellowship into the gathering room and outside.